13 years old. You are a teenager and you're as good as gold. Ricky Baker, oh. Ricky Baker, happy birthday. Once rejected, now accepted by me. And Hector, we're a trifecta. So I discovered this film during COVID and I feel like I just wanted to watch something that I could a get kind of lost in, that it was immersive and like visually interesting. And then B that, you know, had humor. I feel like I really wanted to watch funny things um, in the beginning of COVID. And then, you know, as I was watching it or after I watched it, actually, I started thinking about the ways in which, America show shows up in the mm. movie and I'm just interested in the way America is experienced in other places in the world mm -hmm. um, so that kind of struck me as well welcome to open forum I'm Michael Denzel Smith as an orphan who has spent years in the system finally starts to adjust to the last family that will take him in tragedy strikes and he finds himself, along with a reluctant father figure, the subject of a manhunt through the New Zealand bush. This week's film is Hunt for the Wilder People, and it was chosen by Nadia Owusu, the Whiting Award-winning author of the recently released memoir, Aftershocks. The sort of child protective services officer, mm. and then the cop. They seem very sort of bought into and excited about the uh, American uh, policing system and mm -hmm. almost like all of their behaviors down to sort of reading Miranda rights, which then a character very kind of humorously says, you know, we don't we don't read Miranda rights mm -hmm. here. That's an American thing. But it's like they have been watching cops or something mm -hmm. and they aspire to that. And then I thought that that was, um, I mean, I know that the, the New Zealand uh, justice system also has a racism problem, mm -hmm. but it seems like the racism problem is modeled on the American racism mm -hmm. problem, which I found interesting. And then also the protagonist, Ricky, and just his fascination with hip hop and sort of mm -hmm. the posturing that he does around hip hop which having grown up um, in different places in Africa and Europe, I saw a lot. Um, mm. And so I was just very interested in that too. He hurt you, son? Nah, I fell on some prickles one time. He pushed you in those prickles? Yeah, probably. Did he push you in the prickles, mate? Leave my alone. You shut your trap, old fella. I'll go get some rest of files. You, you got a long walk tomorrow. First of all, you watch how you talk to me. And second of all, you can take him, but I'm staying here. Like hell, people want answers. On that first point, thinking about the sort of export of American policing or American style policing, uh, and thinking of conversations that we've been having here in this country over the past, uh, you know, I don't know, almost a year or so, uh, sparked by last summer and the killing of George Floyd and the protests that then emerged from that. And then the discussion that happens around like the abolition and defunding of police and people looking for alternatives. But then it opens up to this larger conversation around like the ways in which policing has, uh, the, the very concept of policing has infected all of these different systems and the, all of these institutions 
operate as as essentially arms of the police and thinking about child protective services uh you know the character in here i think her name is paula yeah you're right like very much into that mode of like american violence and policing like she calls herself terminator at one point i'll never stop running yeah and i'll never stop chasing you i'm relentless i'm like the terminator i'm more like terminator than you i said at first you're more like sarah connor no i'm not yes in, in the first movie, too, before she could do chin-ups. But then thinking about uh, Child Protective Services itself, just as an institution, as another arm of the criminal legal system, right? Like, what Ricky, the, the child protagonist, is afraid of at this point, you know, he's, uh, he's an orphan, he's been through the system, and he's been taken to different foster families over and over again, and he's, like, at his last chance, uh... And then you know the the woman who adopts him, Bella, she passes away, uh, and he's left with Heck, uh, her, her husband, who is reluctant or just disinterested the entire time. But you know now they're coming to take Ricky away again, and he's like, I can't, I don't want to go because I know what the next thing is, and it's juvie, and it's just like you know he's being shuttled through all of these different systems, and it's all containment, and it's all in that and. You know, Paula, the Child Protective Services uh, employee, she's she constantly says, "No child left behind." Another, you know, that's American, a threat. right? Yeah. Like she no, says it as a she says it as a threat, right? <laughs> like the the idea um, that you know this what should seem like a like benevolent sort of idea of no child left behind is really just another way of uh, policing. Like it's it's played for comedy but like uh, she runs down like his list of uh you know infractions and things and she's she really harps on the spitting thing yeah. and it's just <laughs> and, and it's just like you know these are like pretty innocuous and in some of them but then like you know just sort of childlike behavior in a lot yeah. of ways but but you know he he has to be policed in this way yeah exactly and and that kind of stood out to me too the no child left behind thing because you know, American policy really does have such a huge impact around the world. Um, mm. And, you know, I've recently been kind of digging into even deeper um, the ways in which aid policy, um, aid development, foreign development, aid policy kind of shifts the ways that governments in a developing country actually mm. kind of implement policy. And that, that kind of stood out to me as well, the fact that she was using No Child Left Behind as a threat and the reality that in many ways, No Child Left Behind the policy itself was threatening to mm -hmm. a lot of children. And so, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, it was sort of played for laughs. And at the same time, I think was kind of making a bigger statement about the way that um, sort of harmful and violent American systems and policies kind of um, spread their tentacles around the world. You don't even have a map. Who's on map? Don't need one. I know where I am. Probably couldn't even read it anyway. Why would I need to read a map? I already told you I know where I am. Reading's stupid anyway. Only people who can't read say things like that. And then the, the second thing that you mentioned, like this export of American culture, and it's specifically uh, Ricky's engagement with like black American culture, right? Like, And mm -hmm. I found it like this really tender moment like it's it's not that like i get that it, in the, the sort of universe of the film 
it's kind of meant for you to laugh at a little bit um but it also it's it's a little uh you know he's he's lying in bed and uh he's he mentioned he's trying to figure out a name for his dog he's gotten a dog for his 13th birthday and he mentioned tupac mm-hmm. uh which he eventually names the dog tupac and he says you know you know bella's like who's tupac or what's a tupac and he's like this really cool rapper he's like my best friend and you know it's it's like that that sort of childlike thing of, of like attaching to certain uh uh certain cultural out like certain cultural um products or like you know or, or things in in that like you know this is a person that he i mean tupac was killed before this child was ever born right yeah. but um you know I also found it to be really interesting in this idea that uh, it all it's encompassing the film uh, or, or it runs throughout in which it's like the, the communing with, with the dead, right? Like mm-hmm. Bella dies and he's carrying her ashes and like wanting to get her to the, the mountain in the bush, uh, you know, but the idea that he says it's not just a cool rapper, right? Like, and it's not just someone that he wishes would have been his friend. He, like Tupac is his it's best his friend. friend. Yeah. He's with him in that way, you know. Like, and and this idea of uh, death not being final, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Bella kind of introduces that, you know, when she says that there's a river up in the mountains. I think it is where all of the souls of their people and they're Maori, mm-hmm. um, the Bella and and Ricky. Um, and also, interestingly, the Child Protective Services woman and the cop, I think, are also Maori. Mm. Um, heck is white. But so she says that, you know, our souls go up to the mount- to the river, and that's where our souls can be found. And so I don't know much about Maori culture, but it seems as though they do have sort of a connection to ancestors um, and sort of ancestors being present still in people's lives. And so I also found that really interesting that he had sort of latched onto um, Tupac as being sort of present in his life to the extent that he was his best friend and sort of protector and he saw him as sort of someone that he could, you know, and it was played for laughs too, but sort of aspire to in some ways because he mm-hmm. um, needed to kind of create this tough persona and, you know, Ripley is definitely not tough. He tries to run away multiple times but immediately comes back so he can have pancakes, you know, um, <laughs> But but he sort of put he postures and he puts on this persona and um, yeah I think there was something sort of sweet and tender about it. and then he ultimately yeah he names the dog uh, Tupac um, and he also he arrives sort of in this rural area and and we I think he came from a city but mm-hmm. he arrives wearing this all eyes on his jacket. <laughs> That's the moment I was hooked. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in on that. Yeah. <laughs> How many bullets do we have? Reggie, we gotta stop. Never! Come on! Mate, this is it for me. Look, I can't go on anymore. My legs bugger like an RBC. This is the end. And you mentioned that posturing, and it's very interesting to then think about that in terms of hip hop culture and Tupac specifically, right? Like, Ricky, by virtue of his upbringing, needs or feels like he needs a level of toughness, a hard shell to protect himself from all of these things. Like now, he's been given different tools, right? Like he's he's been like 
oh, when I, I process my feelings and like writing a haiku, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and his haiku is like, I hope he dies a painful death or something right. like that. <laughs> That's how it ends. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's like, it's that connection between like oppressed peoples globally, right? Like yeah. the, the, the export being uh, Black Americans, specifically hip hop, that's drawn from that experience and uh, a means of escaping, a means of articulating, uh, a, a means of shouting at the world, right? And that, you know, when people see those, those outward expressions that they then become the markers of criminality, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, his sneakers, the way he wears his, his hoodies and all of that stuff, right? Like, now these become uh, markers of an outlaw, essentially. But what the, the, the outlaw is born of this sense of displacement. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think going back to the point you were making earlier where Ricky tells Heck, you know, when, when Heck is considering sending him back and he said, there's no more homes, just juvie. They don't care about kids like me. Mm-hmm. You know, they just move us around. And, you know, and then he, there, there's this moment later where he tells Heck about his friend Amber who was a child like him, who was an orphan child who, you know, we learn kind of died um, due to um, neglect and abuse mm-hmm. in the foster care system. And so, you know, thinking about the relationship between oppressed people and these kind of systems, the prison system, which, you know, this film is sort of arguing, I think that the Child Protective Services is often a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and also considering that that's like, it's also, those are also colonial systems, you know? Mm. And so I think in some ways, you know, I was thinking about too, having grown up in Africa, the ways in which I, I also, you know, when I was a teenager, I knew a lot of sort of young African boys mm-hmm. who wanted to be Tupac or, and would have loved to have <laughs> Tupac be their best friend, because I think that there is a way that, um, the solidarity, um, among oppressed people and the language of hip hop allows young people around the world to sort of speak to the oppressive systems that are all connected globally. Stop the truck, I want to get out now. I didn't choose the skunk's life. The skunk's life chose me. Ricky, stop. Stop. At its core, though, this film really is just like a buddy comedy, right? (laughs) Like, so you've got a heck... This, this old curmudgeonly man who just has no interest in Ricky whatsoever and is sort of left with him after Bella's death. Um, and, you know, they're like, he wants no part of this responsibility and it feels like he's just like, I, I want to say, like, it, it's just that life is worn on him. He's also a, a pro, like a product of this, this, uh, you know, prison and policing system right he Mm -hmm. says he he went to prison he got in a drunken bar fight when he was younger and and went to prison for manslaughter and so it's like when when the two of them together right like it's it's now this means of looking at like who are the disposable people right like Mm -hmm. the the way that uh, you know the new zealand police force descends upon these two people with tanks yeah (laughs) right <laughs> right, it's a manhunt for two people, and they've called in basically an army, right? Yes. Um, but it, it's 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 asking who do we find worthy of care, and you know, Bella's the only one in their lives that has offered them that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Kathy even says, you know, that's what she did. She took mm-hmm. in strays like us. Um, and it is a comedy at its heart. You know, it is this sort of buddy film. And it's, it also kind of, I think, connects back to a lot of um, orphan films, you know, like mm. um, Annie. It's like mm. the, the sort of reluctant um, guardian, I think. Um, but, but you know, it, it sort of blows that um, up as well into this sort of um, high stakes chase that, mm. you know, takes up most of the film where they... Um, are inadvertently on the run from the law yeah. because, um, again, Ricky does sort of run away and Heck goes to find him, but that gets, gets injured. And then, you know, the police show up and think that they're, that, that, uh, Heck is trying to steal the child mm-hmm. that they really just want to put in juvie, right. you know, but, but, but yet they're going to chase them with tanks, um, through the bush. Um, and you know, we get so much, we see so much beauty in the wilderness of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I also really liked that about the film too, is like they go into the wilderness and in some ways, although, you know, Heck does get injured, but the wilderness does offer them protection that, that they, mm-hmm. that Ricky especially might not have, um, elsewhere. And I think that that also sort of connects to the ways in which indigenous people, you know, have been sort of displaced. Um, and sort of the joy that they find in sort of reconnecting with the, yeah. with the bush. Yeah, like back to the land, you know, yeah, and it's, it's exactly. very much, yeah. <laughs> Uncle! Uncle, they're close! Sam, what's the fastest way out of here? Jetpack! Do you actually have a jetpack? No! What? Wait! I've got an underground bunker! <laughs> this tunnel leads directly to an underground train! I haven't dug it yet. I also was just... I was like, I am Ricky in the beginning. Cause it's like, you know, like, cause I just, I am not a nature person by any means. He's like, you know, I got poop on my kicks. I'm like, look, that would have ended it there for me. I would have actually run away. And like Bella's like doing stuff with the animal and like plops one down on the table. And was like, yeah, you pick the fur off. I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not touching that animal. <laughs> yeah, and I think Heck at some point asks him if he, can, he if he's going to be able to help on the farm at all or if he's purely ornamental, <laughs> yeah. um, which I found very I'm funny. like, yes, yes, yeah. I am, totally. I got nothing yeah. for you. In I got nothing to offer In the context of the bush, you. I am ornamental. <laughs> um, but he learns, he learns. And I think that that, like, it's... I don't know how to, to, to feel in terms of it, it. Like, I think that there's like this connective tissue of the two of them being like unwanted, like unloved and losing the one connection that they have to that very real human emotion and desire. Uh, you know, obviously affects heck of, of like emotionally more uh, than it does Ricky. But, you know, that. That I, I did, like, I wondered, because I, I don't have enough context for, like, the, the sort of racial stratification of New Zealand of, like, what does it mean to look at this older white man with this younger Maori boy uh, and, like, are we, are we essentially at, like, I, I wondered, like, how much of it am I looking at and just seeing simply uh, or am I seeing this this attempt to say that these people have more in common than mm-hmm. like uh, 
than they would presume or am I looking at some type of like reluctant white saviorhood? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, that, that's a great question. And I'm not sure either, mm. you know, um, I, I think certainly with the history of colonization, I think that there were, or we can, I can see some elements of white saviorism. Mm-hmm. I think that it is complicated by the fact that Heck is also sort of, as you said, sort of an, a discarded mm-hmm. person. But it's but but it was still there. I did have questions about that as well, especially because um, Ricky then does come into contact. I mean, Bella is Maori as well, and then he does come into contact with the little girl and mm-hmm. her father. Um, and I did wonder, could the Heck character have been Maori? Like, wh- why the choice mm-hmm. to make him white? Yeah, so I don't know. I was interested yeah. in that, too. Yeah, it's a, it a curious choice, um, I would say. But it, it was, you're right in picking this as, like, just a funny movie. It's bit, <laughs> like, I, I've, I've only actually seen of uh, Taika Waititi's movies before this. I had only seen uh, Thor, just because it's a Marvel movie, <laughs> and... <laughs> And Jojo Rabbit, but like I was like, no, the, that comedic sensibility is just running through everything that I've seen from him. Like that, that ability to sort of capture these very offbeat moments and like uh, to play for comedy. Like uh, our our sense of culture as precious, um, but mm-hmm. to 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 like ask us like why we consider that. I think that that was one of the things that I found so delightful about this movie. You know, there mm. were, um, you know, the story itself, as, as you're kind of speaking to in terms of, you know, the, the kind of curmudgeonly older man, in this case, also a white man, which I think probably that story has been told a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, kind of becoming the guardian to an orphan um, and, and then also, so I think it's combining sort of the orphan, maybe an orphan trope, um, and then also a, uh, buddy, you know, comedy, mm-hmm. but there's something about the characters that, that makes it work and makes it different. And, you know, the story itself is very familiar. Um, but it's just so grounded in these like wonderful little moments, um, mm-hmm. between the characters that I think make it stand out and and sort of disarm you and like keep you engaged. Nadia, what's one lasting image that sticks with you from Hunt for the Wilder People? Um, so there's this one point, it's after Bella has died and they've just left this ridiculous funeral. <laughs> Um, and they're driving back to the farm, uh, Ricky and Heck, and they're in the car. And, you know, again, we get this lovely shot of, of the New Zealand kind of bush landscape, um, on this sort of secluded road on their way back to the farm where they live. And then the car sort of pauses, um, sort of in the middle of the road. Um, and, you know, I was wondering, did the car break down or what's going on? But in some ways it just sort of marked the transition to, um, part two of the movie, which is the mm-hmm. world without Bella. Um, and I, I just really appreciated that moment. Um, just sort of the, uh, the kind of pause to 
take in the landscape, but then also to consider that these characters' lives are about to change enormously. Nadia, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Open Forum, a podcast from Lit Hub Radio, produced by Justin Alvarez and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcasts and or sign up for the Lit Hub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. Next week, is Robert Townsend a great American filmmaker or is he the greatest American filmmaker? 